Is mayonnaise an instrument? No, Patrick. Mayonnaise is not an instrument. Oh. <laughs> Relish is not an instrument either. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Good morning, good day, and good evening. And good night. Good night. Welcome. To the Insomnia Report. Episode 19. True crime. Alrighty. Okay. Super excited. Yes. Um, last week you grabbed your notebooks and your mechanical pencils. This year you grab your crime scene tape. No, that's horrible. Um, oh my god. Oh my god. No. <laughs> so... Welcome back. If this is your first episode with us, welcome. If you have listened before, welcome back. We're super happy to have you. I'm Margo. And I'm Elizabeth. And we're the two roommates that like to talk about the things that keep us up at night. night. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I will light the candle. Do you want to tell me about your week? What has kept you Um, up? What has kept me up? Well, I'm on my social media thing now because oh. it's officially Lent. So if you see hear like the sadness in Elizabeth's voice, <laughs> because I'm not on Instagram <laughs> at the moment. Oh dear, but it's okay. Uh The Bachelor oh, has yeah. been thinking about it. It's just been at least I can't look at the meme accounts at the moment. But yeah. my God, they. Abigail, they did her dirty. Justice for Abigail. Yeah, hashtag justice for Abigail. Katie for Bachelorette, justice mm-hmm. for Abigail. Mm-hmm. What else happened? Like everything. <laughs> Literally everything. I don't even know. This week flew by. Yeah. I don't know. Did you all have mm-hmm. a good Valentine's Day? Did you love yourself? That was your homework. <laughs> oh, I hope you did. I hope you did. I hope you did. Because you deserve it. <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah. I went thrift shopping and then me and Margo watched To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Yes, it was pretty cute. So I think we have to watch the rest of those films now. Anything that has like more than, I don't know, I, I get kind of skeptical with movies that have like so many sequels. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Unless it's Harry yeah. Potter or The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Well, that has three. I've only seen the first one. So I don't know what I'm saying. Or Lord of the Rings. Yes. Yeah. That also has three. Yeah. Potatoes. Boil them, mash them, stick them in the stew. <laughs> but what about second breakfast? Can't forget second breakfast. I don't think they know second breakfast. Okay. What's kept you up? But, well, I finally did my very extensive presentation at work. So that is a big stress reliever. I have been so tired and very sleep deprived, so I'm excited to get back to kind of a normal routine. Ow. Uh, <laughs> and um, last night it was annoying because I was exhausted and I could not fall asleep for the life mm, of me. I and hate that. Like, well, I fell asleep for like an hour or like I dozed off and then I like woke up and I'm like, <gasps> I'm late. And then I look at my, my clock and I'm like, it's 
it's like four in the morning I'm like okay go back to sleep go back oh. like it just didn't happen so I'm like okay fine so I got up at like 6 30 shower well hopefully you can sleep tonight yes put that behind you we'll see okay our candle light that baby up Ooh, I've been doing okay with the striking lately yeah it's a good match huh you and my both uh, Elizabeth is so over me today. We haven't even started, really. <laughs> you can hear the like the enthusiasm dying. You're like, ha, ha, ha. ha, ha. Okay. Ha, ha. Okay. You want to tell me a story? Yes. Cool. Let's hear it. Newtown, Connecticut. Okay. No, we're not talking about Sandy Hook. Okay. Even though that's where that happened. This crime took place decades earlier. So we're going to talk about Hella Nielsen, who was a Danish flight attendant for Pan Am. And she married a pilot, an American pilot, for Eastern Airlines... Uh, Richard Crafts in Pilot 19... Pete? No, oh my God. Yeah. He would have been better though. Okay. But I'm sorry. I yeah. didn't mean it. I'm good. It's okay. Uh, I don't like to think about Pilot Pete. He's... I heard him and Kelly might be getting back together. Well, Did sometimes... You yeah, sometimes you need to grow apart to get back together. They were broken up for like... <laughs> how long? Like, like three weeks. Three weeks. Just like him and like Hannah Ann's engagement. Just, I don't know. Uh, Peter. That poor man. No, not that poor man. He's a yeah. dingus. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> At least from what we see on TV. Right. Um, have you seen his uh, mother? Yeah. And his, his mother. Yes. <laughs> Don't let her go. <laughs> Break her hole. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So, Helen Nielsen married American pilot for Eastern Airlines, Richard Crafts, in 1979. They moved together to Newtown, Connecticut, and they had three children. Both kept their jobs, and Richard also took on a part-time job as a police officer. Wait, how, both? I don't know how he made that work. I have no idea. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> More power to you, I guess. Yeah. He just liked uniforms and like flat hats, I guess. I, I guess so. That was his, that was his thing. <laughs> that was so his motive. <laughs> However, not everything was going well for the crafts. Mm. Richard was physically abusive. Oh. He had kind of a violent personality. And he was never home and uh, seemed to be sneaking around. Mm. Sus. So, yeah. Hella strongly suspected that he was having an affair Mm. but she had no proof and she wanted to get a divorce so when she went to see their family lawyer diane anderson in the fall of 1986 to discuss filing for divorce the lawyer diane suggested that they hire a private investigator to confirm hella's suspicions about the affair okay so she hired Detective Keith Mayo, whose name I love. I love that because um, I love Mayo. Me too. <laughs> Keith Mayo was the detective they hired to discover the truth about her husband. And for some reason, 
on the Wikipedia page for this story, they call him Oliver Mayo, but that's not his name. It's Keith. I don't know, like, I don't know who wrote that, but it, his name's Keith, so... <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Okay. okay. <laughs> like they're not even close. It's Oliver. <laughs> maybe that's his alter maybe, ego. Or maybe something. they like. I don't know. Like olives and may. That's not a combo. I don't know. I feel like that'd be a combo in like a seventies cookbook recipe. <laughs> maybe with bologna. Yeah. Yeah. And like sure. a loaf, some kind of loaf. And cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it doesn't sound horrible, but yeah. yeah. I wouldn't reach for it, but if it was there, I'd eat it. You know. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't make it on my own, but if it was, right. like, at a party, like, yeah, a weird platter. I would probably eat that, I would too. eat it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> glad, glad, glad we've established that. Um, <laughs> Good Lord. So, Hella's instincts were right. Richard was having an affair. Always trust your gut. I know, right? It's, yeah, it's un- unvaluable. Is it invaluable? Yeah. You're asking me? I don't know. <laughs> Your gut is trustworthy. Inevitable. No. That's not it. No, okay. <laughs> Richard was having an affair. Detective Mayo. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, dude. Hellman. <laughs> Mr. Hellman. Miracle Whip. <laughs> Officer Miracle Whip. His, his like, when he has to go undercover. That's what Officer. <laughs> this is a Hellman jar. I need backup. Over. Detective Mayo got clear photos of Richard being affectionate with another woman. Turns out Richard was involved in several affairs. And when she saw the photos, Hella reportedly sobbed for 10 minutes. Oh. Yeah. Honey. After that, she knew she had to leave him. Yeah, good for you. But she later told... Her lawyer and her friends, she said, if anything ever happens to me, don't think it was an accident. Oh, dear. Which her lawyer commented was a very unusual thing to say. Well, I would think so. Yeah. So it's not, it's noteworthy. That's sure. like very, it's very alarming. Yeah, yeah. Like something's going on there. On November 18th, 1986, Hella was dropped off by a friend at her house on a snowy night after returning from a work flight from Frankfurt, Germany. Hmm. But a few days later, she didn't show up for work, and she hadn't called in. So her friends started to worry because that wasn't like her. She would have called in or let them know what was going on. Mm -hmm. They called her house, and her husband, Richard, answered, but he was being really cagey. He told them Hella went to Denmark to visit her sick mother, and then he told them that she went on a vacation to the Canary Islands with a friend. So he kept changing the story, which is a little sus. That's also an alarming Yes. Mm-hmm. Something felt off, of course, to Hella's loved ones. And her lawyer, Diane, called Keith Mayo, the detective, who went to the police to report her missing, but... The police wouldn't listen when he said he thought it, Richard had something to do with what it. The, what? Was it because he was like a part-time police officer? That's a good question. I don't know, but mm. I wouldn't put it past him. Okay. So Keith decided to launch his own investigation because he was a private investigator. Yeah, Mayo. <laughs> Go Mayo. So he interviewed people and tried to track down evidence on his own. Okay. 
He talked to the craft's live-in nanny, and she said that she noticed a grapefruit-sized dark stain on the carpet after Hella disappeared. Okay. And then Richard ripped up the carpet in the master bedroom and put in new carpet and wouldn't tell the nanny why. So that's also a little bit... Um, Just a little. You know, something to something to keep in mind. Like, yeah, sometimes on a whim I'll be like, you know what, I'm going to learn how to knit today, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I would never be like, I'm going to rip out this carpet. Like, no. Right. Sir. Right, right. Okay. The Connecticut State Police were now on the case. Where is Hella? At the end of December, so this is a little over a month after she disappeared, Richard took his kids on vacation to Florida, and the police searched the house. Did they have a warrant? I hope so. Okay. (laughs) I I presume so. I, I, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I, I think so. Okay. When they searched the house, they found a blood smear on the side of the bed and, like, random pieces of carpet from the master bedroom. Okay. A guy named Dr. Henry Lee was the lead forensics expert in this case, and he found also five tiny, tiny blood stains on the mattress. They tested it. It was human blood. It was O positive, the same as Hella. And somehow they could figure out that it was circulation blood, not like menstrual blood, for example. Okay. Just like by the type of, I, I have no idea. Probably how that like works, the but iron or like the yeah some some whatever our test our yes <laughs> ecosystem does. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Makes sense though. Right. So like a vein or an artery of some kind would have had to have been burst for that sure. to be there. The blood pattern also was consistent with some kind of blunt object injury. Hmm. Additionally, the towels in the bathroom had been washed recently, but tests showed that they had had blood on them at one point. Hmm. That's so weird to me. Yeah. I can like trace. I don't know. I know. It's really, it's cool. Yeah. I, I watched, actually, this is the first, this story is a topic of season one, episode one of Forensic Files. That's why this is so familiar. I'm yeah. like, wait a minute. Yeah. Okay. So the episode I watched it is from like 1996. And I'm like, I remember. Early 90s. Yeah. Okay. But they were all like forensics. Yeah. Like DNA. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> there was a hair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really cool and amazing that they have this. Yeah, it <laughs> is. But I, And I feel like even more so in the 90s when it was all sort of like newer and they were right. like just hyped about it, which is which is cool. Yeah. Back when it was like, you know, your first job and you're like super like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, no. Forensics. <laughs> so there was evidence of her blood, you know, okay, something happened to her, but where was she? Other incriminating evidence continued to arise. Looking at Richard's credit card statements, which like, this is so stupid. Like, anyway, <laughs> like if I was going to commit a crime, like, I would not use my credit card. Okay, Richard. I guess he didn't watch that many documentaries. You're right. You're right. He probably didn't. (laughs) So looking at his statements, investigators found that he recently purchased a large freezer, which was was not in the house. So what? (laughs) um, Bed sheets and a comforter. Hmm. 
And a receipt showed that he had also bought a chainsaw. Oh, you know, these are not things that you put together unless it's a haunted house. Mm -hmm. He also rented, and this is the kicker, a large commercial wood chipper after Helen disappeared. (laughs) Yeah, so the police made Richard take a lie detector test and he somehow passed. Those are not... Yeah, even though they're not reliable... I'll have to go into this on another episode. Um, <laughs> that would be a good one. Yeah. But they continued to search for clues. Well, good. Can't be like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Everything's pointing. But I know. Finally, a local man named Joseph Hine told police that while he was plowing snow on the night of November 18th, when the last night um, Hello was seen alive, He saw a rental truck and a wood chipper on a bridge near a body of water called Lake Zor around 3.30 in the morning, along with a man in an orange poncho. And then he later saw the same wood chipper near the edge of the lake itself, like when he drove by later. So detectives were like, okay, cool, like show us where that was. So he did. He led them to where he saw the wood chipper and they got to work searching for evidence near the lake bed i hate that yeah me too here's what they found oh no mail addressed to hella on the riverbank um how'd that get there hmm i don't know (laughs) (laughs) they searched they were searching the lake bed for like days to find stuff Mm -hmm. they found 2660 blonde hairs who counted that (laughs) <laughs> whoever in the evidence like <laughs> department who had to do that <laughs> the uh, interns unfortunate yeah some blue fibers a piece of metal they weren't sure what it was a painted fingernail Ew, like an entire yeah. nail yeah. and it wasn't like a fake one no <laughs> sorry that's okay a bunch of tiny bone fragments okay and in the lake, divers found pieces of a chainsaw with the serial number scratched off. Okay. 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 All the while, Richard, because this was getting significant media attention. Right. And Richard, the whole time, it was like, no, I didn't kill her. I don't know where she is. And look. She's in Denmark. She's in, yeah. in, on Cancun or wherever. Look, I passed a lie detector test. You I got nothing on me. done him. Blah, blah, blah. So that was that was his his little thing. Okay. Richard, what a dick. Yeah. Get it? <laughs> oh, I just got it. <laughs> and so whatever. It's, it's true though. Yeah. The hairs that they found, all 2,660 of them, matched hairs from Hella's hairbrush mm. once they looked at them under a microscope. And they analyzed the fingernail polish on the fingernail. And that matched polish that they found on her nightstand. Mm. So, yay forensics. And as far as the bone fragments were concerned, the team, the forensics team confirmed that they were human and that they came from someone with type O blood. Like, hello. All right. Things are adding up. Yeah. But they still couldn't, like, 100% prove it was her kind of thing. Okay. They need to prove that it was her and that she was dead. In the chainsaw, Mm. they found human hair, tissue, and fibers. And the fibers matched the color of Hella's favorite nightshirt. 
mm. as well as the fibers they found on the lake bed. Okay. And then the serial number was scratched off on the chainsaw, but they were able to remove the couple top layers of metal to get to the parts that weren't scratched off. So they were able to recover the serial number of the chainsaw. Mm. And it matched the one that was on a warranty card sent in by Richard. He was dumb enough to put in a warranty for it. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I get $20 if I mail in this. <laughs> yeah, the man was... What did, a dumbass. I know. Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> I can just imagine me, like, watching this documentary with a face mask on, eating Cheetos, being like the fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> I know. It's... Yeah. God. I know. Oh, no. <sighs> the, Jeez. The piece of metal that they found was believed to be a crown for a tooth. Oh, and that makes so, it so much more. Icky. I know that's weird. So they went back and searched again the lake bed, and they actually found a tooth. Oh, okay. And they matched it to Hella mm-hmm. with her dental records. So now they knew for sure that she was dead, and that the remains that they found, all the fragments and stuff, were hers. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Richard was arrested in January 1987, and then. I'll get into this in a second, but the theory, of course, was that he had put her body through a wood chipper. Mm. So before the trial, the forensics team actually put a pig through a wood chipper. Yeah. And looked at the bone fragments from the pig and noticed the way they were cut, like they had grooves and, and stuff in them, and that matched the pattern of the bone fragments they found on the lake bed. Yeah. Yeah. The human ones. On November 21st, 1989, Richard was found guilty and sentenced on January 8th, 1990 to 50 years in prison, and he was released in early 2020, actually. So they let him out early. Yeah. And as far as I know, he's in a transitional housing program for veterans, and he's always maintained his innocence. So, here's what they think happened. Okay. Hella got home around 7 p.m. from her flight, Mm -hmm. put her kids to bed around 8 p.m., and the nanny had the night off, so she wasn't expected to be home till midnight. She actually got home around 2 a.m. or something. Okay. Hella put on her nightshirt, looked through her mail, and put it in the pocket of her nightshirt. Mm. And then started changing the bed sheets. Richard, I don't know if they were arguing about something. I don't know what was going on. Hit her twice with a blunt object. Forensic Files thinks it was a police flashlight. Oh. Killing her. And that's how the blood smear on the side of the bed came about. Because she kind of like fell or was kneeling down. So he killed her through this blunt object and then wrapped her body in the bed covers brought her to the garage where the freezer was and put her body in the freezer Mm. he tried to clean the blood stains from the carpet with towels but it didn't work and then he washed the towels what did he think i don't like was it a sham wow like (laughs) again like i don't know this man he did not not saying that he should have planned it out better but like it would have made him harder to catch, but, like... Good Lord. Yeah. I, yeah. Maybe he just 
was like a narcissist and thought he could get away with or yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm just making a like I don't know. Well, actually that's interesting because one person in the um forensic files episode said that he could have passed the lie detector test because if he had been so convinced that like he mm. wouldn't he would get away with it. Yeah. That was like one that's way he could point. have done it. So, yeah, I think you're right. So she's in the freezer. He's trying to clean the blood stains from the floor. He washes the towels and I guess replaces all the carpet, um, but not the same night. And then at dawn, he, or like super early the next morning, he took the kids and the nanny to his sister's house saying that their mom left early for work, I guess, or something. Aww. And then he rented the largest commercial wood chipper he could find. Give me the biggest one you got. Like, yeah. Could, what? And a U-Haul. Mm. Again, both on his credit card. Stupid. And then he took her frozen body and a chainsaw mm. and some wood to the river. He, sorry, this is, this is bad, but mm. I mean, it's all bad, but this right. is, yeah. He dismembered her body with a chainsaw. Mm. And then he put the pieces through the wood chipper along with wood, mm. I guess, to try to, like, right. camouflage it or something. And there wasn't any blood splatter or anything because she was frozen. Oh. And then most of the debris went into the river. And then he took apart the chainsaw, scratched off the serial number, and threw it in the river. Or, I'm sorry, I keep saying river. Okay, I had river and lake intermingled in my notes because in Forensic Files, I kept saying river but then in these articles i was reading it kept saying the lake body of water yes so <laughs> if i've said river just pretend that i said lake instead yep. okay cool so that's what they think happened but he never admitted to it and his conviction was the first murder conviction in the state of connecticut without a body like without mm. finding a body which is interesting and it's interesting to think about because like without forensic technology they probably wouldn't have been able to convict him yeah there's no way so he was probably betting on that which is why he may have been so confident yeah but yeah and also this case inspired the movie fargo no wait oh my gosh okay yeah. i actually haven't seen it i, I, I haven't either watching the trailer and we should watch it yeah no for that reason is why i just i don't know anything about that movie except like a wood chipper so yeah. that's um <laughs> yep okay. so that is the disappearance of hella crafts rest in peace miss crafts i know i mean that's horrible that's a horrible way it's like that is just yeah. i mean i guess like this is bad but like the the good thing about it is that she was dead like by the time yeah like right she went she went through the wood chipper you know right. oh jeez, yeah <sighs> but i mean i don't i also don't there there was something about like the law at the time that he was sentenced that said that he could get out early based on certain things like good behavior and mm. the way he worked in prison blah 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 so they had to let him out early but i don't think that that's justified Ugh. but he's like in his 80s now no. but still i mean Ugh. yeah he just got out. That's so weird. Mm-hmm. So he's probably somewhere in Connecticut, chilling. He's watching his forensic file episode. Yeah. I don't know. That's so weird. Ew. Yeah. All right. I'm excited to hear your story because... I've been hyping it up. Yeah. So this is something that I've actually wanted to cover since 
the very beginning because it is something that it's not, at least I don't think it's entirely well known. Um, and I heard it on an episode of, and that's why we drink a really long time ago. It was one of their like early to mid-ish episodes. I mean, they have like 200 episodes. They're a great podcast, but I heard it on that and it has like stuck with me and it's just like, it's, Mm -hmm. it's a ride. And so I've been holding off on doing it. One reason is because it's real, the person's name is really close to my boss's name. And I thought that would have been weird. Oh, okay. Yeah. But like, I thought like when we were first starting, I'm like, oh, like what if she listens to it? And it was like, that's weird. Like, I didn't, I don't know. But I also just wanted to make sure I had time to like it was just something I was very interested in and I wanted to like build up to a place where I was like more confident talking about it. Mm-hmm. I hope I do it justice. I It was a lot longer than I had thought and I feel I could have gone a lot deeper. Like this mm-hmm. could have been like an entire hour. Well, we can always revisit it too. Mm-hmm. I mean, I talk about like what happens and then when it comes to like, you'll see. Okay, okay. I'm going to lay it on me. <clears throat> So Christina May, a.k.a. Tina, was born February 13th, 1977. So recently. Last, yeah. last time was Abe's birthday. Oh, yeah. Well, anyway. She was born in West Germany, but she was put up for adoption. And in 1980, she was adopted by Tommy and Cindy Thomas. Tommy Thomas. Tommy Thomas. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, okay. I know, right? <laughs> we have Officer Mayo and Tommy Thomas <laughs> and Tina Thunderthighs. No, it's a different Tina. Okay. Um, <laughs> when she was a baby, they moved to the U.S. and they lived in Walker County, Alabama. Tina also had a younger sister. And at a young age, Tina was diagnosed with a condition called Paroax. Yamal superventricular tachycardia. Oh my gosh. I probably butchered it, but for short, it's PSVT. Okay. So I'm not going to ever say that long phrase again, uh, but according to WebMD, <laughs> PSVT is essentially a condition that causes the heart to beat too quickly. Uh, and you can have episodes that cause the heart to go from a normal rate of 60 beats per minute to 120 to 230 beats per minute oh my gosh so out of nowhere like you'll just get palpitations or it can last anywhere from a couple seconds to hours wow so it starts and stops suddenly there's no like control over it it's it's not very common and but there isn't necessarily any long-term side effects but it can cause trouble catching your breath you can have prolonged fatigue, chest pain, dizziness, or fainting. So Tina did take medication for it, but she didn't like how she felt on it or it wasn't really working. So when she turned 24, she had a small heart surgery and she seemed to be okay or like it managed it a little bit better. Overall, she had a really great relationship with her family and they all described her as you know, the best person you could ever meet. She would light up a room, all those typical, like, beautiful person, friendly, outgoing. She had, like, the world going for her. And, you know, she she was very close with her family and loved them very much. 
Uh, Tina attended University of Alabama, and when she was at college, she met this man named Gabe Watson, who would later be her husband, and she met him at a party. Gabe was a tall boy. He was <laughs> uh, six foot three, and he was like a relatively friendly guy. He got along with people. He was pretty charismatic, and he took a big interest in Tina like right away he was like love at first sight or like I'm really into her so he kept asking her out but she was actually at the time engaged to a man named Scott so she's like no I'm not gonna go out with you like I'm with Scott like I'm engaged la 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 but eventually she ended up breaking off the engagement because her mother didn't approve I, I don't know more details if she didn't like Scott or if she thought Tina was too young like you shouldn't be engaged mm-hmm. like I, I don't I don't know, but I guess her mother had like a big influence on it or she just found it didn't work out. Mm. So Tina and Scott broke it off. And then a couple months later, she ran into Gabe again at the same New Year's party and he asked her out again and she was like, okay, you know what? Fine. Like I'm no longer engaged. Like it's one of those things. I imagine it being like, okay, fine. I'll go out with you. Mm. And then the rest is history. I don't know. Yeah. So they officially started dating, you know, they go on a couple of dates and they start officially dating a few months later and then they graduate from University of Alabama in 2001. Gabe went on to continue at his family's business. They owned like a, a cardboard company of some sort and he All was right. a bubble wrap salesman. Um, it's random. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's a trade for it. <laughs> um, bubble wrap is important. Pop, pop. I wish I had some. And then Tina was a manager at a clothing store in town. So Gabe had a passion for scuba diving, and he was a certified rescue diver. Like, that was his passion. And Tina was not a huge fan, but Gabe convinced her to take lessons. But it wasn't because it was like, oh, like, you should try it. It'd be fun. Or, like, you know, just... It wasn't for, like, her benefit. He said, I do things that Tina loves all the time so she can do things I love too, which is kind of a dick move. Yeah, I don't really like that. Yeah, it leaves a bad taste. Okay. So in February of 2003, they've been dating for about two years at this point, and Gabe goes to Tommy, Tina's father, and asks if he could have his blessing, and he wanted to marry Tina. And Tommy stated that he was, like, really flattered, but he was kind of hesitant. He typically thought that their relationship was kind of one-sided or they would kind of bicker. It wasn't, like, a perfect relationship. So he, Mm. you know, being a father figure looking out for his daughter, he was like, "Eh, you know, I'm flattered. I'm, I'm not too sure. So he technically never gave his blessing to Gabe. Hmm. Interesting. Um. So a couple months later, in April, Gabe actually ended up proposing to Tina on Easter. He made an Easter egg hunt in Tina's home, and in one of the eggs, there was a ring. Oh, which that's kind of cute. I never want to be proposed on a holiday, but that's just me. Yeah, no, me neither. But I mean, cute. Yeah. Little thing, I guess. (laughs) So when Tina told her parents again, they were like kind of unsure. They thought like, you know we want you to be happy we want to make sure like everything's smoothed out and we want to just make sure that you know like 
it's not just the the Gabe show, mm-hmm. you know. So they're like looking out for their daughter. And another thing that was really weird is before the engagement, Gabe like purchased a ring like way before he proposed and he would like taunt Tina with it saying like I got a ring are you gonna get it like ooh, maybe I'll give it like it's like dude go away yeah it is really weird but he defended it by saying he was just like excited and he was just like waiting for the right moment but it's like you can tell your friends that don't tell your girlfriend that like that's messed up Mm. fellas take notes don't do that don't do (laughs) don't do anything this man does okay so they got engaged in April and they set the wedding date to be October of that year. So pretty quick turnaround. Mm. They, and by they I mean Gabe, decided that they would honeymoon in Australia and they would go on an extensive scuba dive excursion. Sharks are involved now. <laughs> so I, Gabe had been talking about like going to Australia and he originally was like, oh, why don't we do this as a like – a graduation thing and she's like they had only been dating for a little bit at that time so mm-hmm. she's like no like I think that's a bit much you know so uh they decided I guess or they agreed that it would be the honeymoon in Australia and this concerned her parents one thing because of her heart condition mm. um and another thing is Tina's really good friends all were like this is not something Tina is super passionate about like this is not something to make an entire if you want to do it as a trip like that's one thing but for your honeymoon it should be like something that you can do together not an entire trip focused on this Mm -hmm. Tina wasn't passionate about it she just did it to like bond with Gabe or to kind of make him happy yeah he sounds very kind of controlling yeah 100 percent Tina assured all of them, like friends and family, you know, Gabe's a pro, he's a rescue diver, like we don't have to worry, like it's a popular spot, there's guides there. So they're like, okay, you know, I'm sure like scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef would be amazing. I'm sure Australia is really cool. So either way, it's, it's a trip. So she was excited about it. In an interview with one of Tina's friends named Amanda, she recalled that Tina really didn't like getting her hair wet or going below water. And whenever, like, they would go to the pool as a kid, she would always, like, doggy paddle because she's, like, a hate being in the water. So she was, like, very surprised. She said, quote, I would have said that she would have wanted to go to Europe or, you know, done, like, castle tours or something in the Caribbean. But then she said she wanted to go see Nemo. And she wanted to go see the sea turtles and to go find Nemo. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Like, I'd be friends with Tina. Now, prior to their wedding, a few weeks before, so they were set to get married in October. And in September, Tina goes to her father and asks if she could up her life insurance policy and make Gabe the sole beneficiary. I'm sorry. What? Mm -hmm. (sighs) Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm just thinking, like, what would he have had to say to her to make her do that? And why? I, like, that's so weird. That's... Especially right before your wedding. Like, yeah. you don't think about, like, death or yeah. or that sort that's of thing. That's so weird. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, 
Wow. Tommy was a little, like, put off by this. He was like, why? Uh, But he said, okay, you know what? Like, let's just worry about your wedding and we can talk about it when you get back from your trip. So she didn't actually get the insurance Mm. increased. Okay. So their wedding was on October 11th of... 2003 and the very next day they set off for australia for their two-week trip they would spend one week in sydney um where they would like go to the zoo the opera house like typical tourist things so it wasn't like two weeks of full-on scuba diving Mm. but the next week they did go on kind of like a cruise excursion where they toured various sites at the time gabe had logged about 55 dives where tina had dived Five. Wow. And none of them were open water. Oh, my God. Wow. So pretty novice. Green horn over here. Part of the dive trip was to go to a very popular dive site called the Yangala. And this is like a really popular, beautiful sunken ship. It has a bunch of like coral overgrown it and the way it like sunk. It's, It's a huge... Like, it's a diver's dream to to go here. It's, like, mm-hmm. one of the things that you have to go, I guess, according to, like, divers that I've read about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so they go on this excursion, and they're, they're with this company, and they're on a boat called the Spoil Sport. Now, this dive was labeled as a red dive, which meant it was a very senior dive, and it would be recommended for advanced divers due to the depths and strong currents Mm -hmm. so if anyone's curious about diving scales the green if if it's labeled green it's for people that have had less than 15 dives like super easy peasy yellow is 15 to 50 and then red is 50 and above so she was like two whole levels above her (laughs) she wasn't even close she wasn't even like yeah it was um okay she was 10% there. Yikes. Ooh, so okay. not looking good. Um, the day of the dive was October 22nd, 2003. They had really good weather conditions. It was a beautiful day. And the dive company they toured with offered orientations as well as a diver guide since it was a more experienced dive excursion. But Gabe said no you know what we're fine like I'm a I'm a rescue diver I I've done this like hundreds of times we don't need like the orientation and like we don't need a instructor like we're fine why would the company even let her do that if they knew I mean it was that's like that was like a big debate about this it was like why did the but they were like adamant and you know he they had to present like their certifications and like you know she was also saying like no like if he says I'm good then I'm good and Mm -hmm. so okay you know but it's not like you know they drop them off and then like leave like Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of divers around and everything Uh, so there's instructors there's like there's like two different boats and so it's like Mm -hmm. a popular area so it's okay not like you're you know on your own Mm mm-hmm and I think, like, Gabe was just very convinced, and especially because he was a rescue diver. He's like, mm-hmm. no, like, I'm going to help you through it. So they um, they were like, okay. 
but they were offered like an orientation like two separate times and they declined both times wow so they go down for a dive but not too long after that they resurface because gabe was actually having trouble with his dive computer and a dive computer measures the time and depth of dives so they can kind of monitor safety and like mm. the trip and it beeps if you've been like down too long or I don't, I've never dived. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but it monitors things. And he said it was like, you know, beeping that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. So they resurfaced pretty quickly so he could fix it. Gabe also asked the crew members for additional weights to help Tina dive better because, you know, it would be easier to, like, go down to mm-hmm. the ship instead of, like, because mm-hmm. she was light. Um, and this is, like, a common thing okay. that divers do. Sometimes they add weights to their belts. So they give her some weights, or Gabe gives her some weights, and so he gets his monitor working again, and then they go back down. So, for whatever reason, some, like, you know, they're down there, and then Gabe returns to the surface, and he's signaling, you know, Tina's in trouble, and, you know, we need help. So, one of the instructors named Wade, uh, like, was scoping things out, and he noticed that someone was, like, at the bottom, and he said... This is concerning because there's no movement and there's also like no bubbles. So he's Mm. like, okay, like this isn't, I know something here is wrong. So, you know, Wade goes down to like go rescue Tina, who is at the bottom Mm. of the ocean floor at this point. And other divers on the boat noticed that Gabe was, you know, sitting around alone and they're like, where's Tina? And he goes, oh, she didn't come up. And they're like, what do you mean she didn't come up? And he explained, so this is Gabe's story. According to Gabe, the currents were a lot stronger than he had originally anticipated. And it was a lot more intense than he would have thought given his experience. And Tina started to panic during their dive. And she was like flailing her arms around, like freaking out. And he was like trying to comfort her and... In doing so, she knocked his mask off, and he panicked, mm. trying to like get it back on. And he, um, by the time he got it back on, he noticed that Tina was sinking to the bottom, and her arms and legs were out, like more so like reaching for him. And he was like calling for her, but he decided it'd be better to go back to the surface and get help. So he's a rescue diver. Exactly. (laughs) Sir. So instructor Wade brings her up to the surface and they, like I mentioned, there were two boats. So there was the Spoil Sport and then there's also the Jazz 2. So they take her to the Jazz 2 and start performing CPR. He mentioned that Tina was so heavily weighted that he had to take off her belt to bring her back to the surface. So she had an extra 20 pounds where she really only needed eight. Wow. Mm -hmm. So they were performing CPR for an extended period of time, and after 40 minutes, they weren't able to revive her. Wow. 
So while they were performing CPR, Gabe isn't around her, which is really weird. He's just hanging around with the other divers and they're all like, like, what do you need? Like, are you okay? And he goes, oh, I could use a hug, I guess. So it's it's determined like this is an accident. You know, she panicked. She drowned like her oxygen. You know, it it looked like an accident and... Mm. That's what it was determined. So Gabe calls his family and lets him know the situation. But he tells his parents, I don't want to tell Tina's parents. Can you tell them? Like, what a... Wow. I hate this man. Additionally, Tina had been dead for about 12 hours before he called anyone, which is weird because I feel like in an emergency, like, you reach out right away. Yeah. So a few days later... Gabe goes to the Australian police to just, like, you know, talk about what happened so they could get, like, the full report and everything. So initially when he was, like, talking, he said, like, oh, there were, like, mild currents and this is what was going on. But then he made a second statement saying, like, it was the craziest currents he'd ever seen as a diver. And he mentioned there was, like, he also mentioned he had never been trained how to bring an unconscious diver back to the surface in his courses. So like did you mm, like okay. did you print out something <laughs> and put your name on it? Like I don't understand right. how you're getting certified. However, they expected no reason for foul play. You know, they're a young married couple. They were a mar- they were only married 11 days at this time and it was just like you know, like it, it was mm. obviously an accident. So they let him return to the U.S. to bury his wife. So they're at her funeral and everyone thought Gabe was kind of acting strange and he like seemed kind of like down, but he wasn't like devastated. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, making jokes and he even said like, oh, at least her boobs look perky. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. Like my face is stuck like this. Um, Yeah. Oh, jeez. So, he also went up to Tommy, and he claimed that because he was her husband, he wanted all of her things and all of her money and everything right away. And that is when Tommy informed him that, like, he was not the sole, like, he didn't change the insurance (laughs) policy. So, like, obviously, Gabe was really mad. Fast forward a couple months, and in December of that year, so, like, a month and a half later... Mm -hmm. Gabe sends out Christmas cards with a photo of him and Tina from their wedding. And on the back, it says, who's that sexy person next to Tina? Oh, wait, that's me with a smiley face. This man is a psychopath. Yeah, he is. Like, what? Yeah. So really unusual behavior really unacceptable like yeah like i don't even have words it's just holy cow like like him and richard would get along i think i think so (laughs) oh my god so enter now we meet a good samaritan named ken and he was actually one of the divers that was on the same trip as tina and gabe and him and his wife were from florida and he you know, this was 
building over time like I think when you're in a stressful situation you don't realize how things don't make sense until Mm -hmm. later on yeah and he was talking to his wife and he said you know something isn't sitting right with me like the behavior of Gabe was really weird so he is going to reach out to Tina's parents he's like going to try to Mm -hmm. figure out like who they are and like to explain like his side of the story Mm -hmm. so he calls Tommy And he, you know, talks to him and he basically tears up Gabe's entire story. So one thing he mentioned is some of the divers noticed that Gabe gave Tina a bear hug underwater and Tina was like kind of flailing her arms around. Another thing that was kind of fishy was Gabe had said... Gabe had said multiple times that she was like 10 feet below me. She was sinking. Her arms were outstretched. But a diver who is like panicking would never just like panic sink, you know? Mm -hmm. They would never like reach out and be like, goodbye. You know, like Mm -hmm. if you're panicking, you're like trying to get anywhere. Yeah. So that was like a huge like red flag that he realized later. Like Mm -hmm. another thing is... Ken also said, for one thing, alive people don't sink. Mm -hmm. Dead people do. Mm -hmm. And that was the moment where Tina's father said, okay, like, I need to find answers. Like, that is, something's going on here. Yeah. So, enter Detective Tommy. He flies to Australia. Wow. And he wants to interview other people, including you know, the diver Wade who brought Tina back up to the surface. So he speaks to Wade and he wanted to, you know, just confirm Gabe's story from like what he heard from other divers, from what he heard from Ken. He just wanted to, you know, I I don't understand why he flew all the way there. I guess he could have just like, you know, called him. But anyway, (laughs) he he went to Australia to like try to investigate. Mm -hmm. So here's kind of like a a breakdown of, of what Gabe said compared to what went down so first it was confirmed that Gabe was not around Tina when he was when she was getting CPR performed and this was a lie that Gabe said like he said on the phone like yeah I was like there the whole time like I was like you know trying to like I was freaking out and no he was just like chilling on the other boat being like I could use a hug so that was like another thing and it's like if your loved one is dying you would Mm. be freaking out yeah not just like on the other boat right so that was like obviously a huge eye opener and another thing is he didn't actually go to see tina's body until she was like pronounced dead wow so that made tommy believe that he didn't want to be around her in case she did like resuscitate Mm because then she would be able to say like oh like this is what Gabe did so he didn't go over there until she was pronounced dead so that was Wade's perspective on on what happened Mm -hmm. now he goes to the Australian police department where the investigation or the detectives were you know started this investigation and you can actually watch like all the interrogation or like the interview questions online Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I will note 
is according to the autopsy report, the cause of death was indeed drowning, but the cause of drowning was undetermined. Mm. It showed air embolism, which is a blockage of blood supply caused by air bubbles in a blood vessel or the heart. So the findings of this type of drowning is... So when you have air embolism, when you look at other statistics on diving deaths, these are like the two most common cases, but 70% are drowning and then the other 14 are air embolism. Mm -hmm. So it's like not as common. Mm -hmm. The autopsy report also eliminated faulty equipment all the gear was up and running it wasn't like a you know medical accident like all her like vitals were okay and additionally there also there wasn't much water in her lungs Hmm. at the time which was odd weird especially if it was a drowning because that's like the first thing yeah so that was really weird so they also took a look at additional testimony and go from there So one thing Gabe said is his dive-in computer, his device was beeping at him when they went on that first dive, remember? Mm -hmm. And because it was beeping during the first trip, it it like signaled that he was having issues and him and Tina go up to the surface to fix it. And he was like, haha, oh, my battery was put in backwards. Mm. Idiot. Um, (laughs) So... The detectives or investigators tested this, so they tested, like, put in a dive computer battery in backwards, and there was no way it, it would have beeped or worked with the battery backwards, so mm-hmm. that was a flat-out lie, um, which made them realize he may have been hiding something, because why would you have this elaborate thing? Mm-hmm. Another thing is he said when she was sinking, she was sinking faster than he could catch up to her, and that's why he decided to go get help. And first of all, like, did she have a torpedo attached to her? Like, I don't understand. Like, <laughs> right. how fast can you be? Yeah. Like, you sink that fast if there's an anchor. You don't. Mm. Randy agrees. Yeah. So then they reached out to several dive experts, and all of them stated that Gabe could have easily reached her with a few kicks. Mm. So that just makes me so frustrated. Mm-hmm. And he, in fact, had been trained on how to bring divers back to the surface after he like blatantly said like I had never received this kind of training. Mm-hmm. So that was completely wow. yeah, stupid lie. lie. And the final thing is weeks after the accident one of the divers had a underwater camera and they had their film developed, you know, back mm-hmm. when you had to do that. Mm-hmm. And to their surprise, while the photographer was taking a photo of his wife, he didn't realize they actually found a photo of Tina in the background on the bottom of the ocean floor. Wow. Now, not only is this like completely shocking, like a one Mm. in a million photo, but they were also able to determine that the location of where she was in the photo went against what Gabe said was going on when he had left her. So based on what Gabe was saying, she should have been found on or next to the ship, which was like several meters away. Mm-hmm. But she was she was found like in a completely different area. Wow. 
Gabe also said that when he was resurfacing, he stopped two divers and like shook them aggressively and was like pointing like Tina, Tina, like trying to signal for help. And they contacted all the crew and diver members and no one was like approached in this way. There was like absolutely wow. no additional people that had mm-hmm. this happen because I feel like that would have come up like earlier, yeah. you know. Another statement Gabe said was he said, you know, he never swam so fast in my life. Like I rocketed up to the surface to try to get help. His uh, his computer, his little dive computer, in fact, worked and they were able to track his dive and he found it, it found that he descended 15 meters and then he rised. So he went down. 15 meters and then mm-hmm. he gradually came back up to the surface which took him about like three minutes mm-hmm. according to dive experts this is like a tortoise speed and they wow. compared wade's computer the mm-hmm. the guy who rescued or you know recovered mm-hmm. tina they compared his dive computer to gabe's and Wade traveled twice the depth and half the time while carrying Tina. Wow. So that also, yeah, like flags everywhere mm. and they're all red. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So Tina's dive computer showed that she resurfaced multiple times quickly, which is typically a pattern of someone who is panicking. Mm. Again, because there were a little water in her lungs, that would have meant she had to have been unconscious for this to happen. Mm. So remember that bear hug that Mm -hmm. Ken brought up? They believe while hugging, he turned off her air and waited for her to pass out and let her sink. Another thing that's weird is when he was back at the States after the funeral, shortly after, Gabe wanted Tina's body moved to a different plot in a grave that was like 100 feet away. Which is really freaking weird. Why? Like, no one knew why, but they were like, okay. So they did. They, like, dug up the grave, and Tina's parents said it was, like, a horrible day. Like, he couldn't, like, like, he went there to, like, see it happen, and Gabe didn't even show up. So it was just, like, Tina's parents being, like, Jesus, like. Oh, my God. And, like, Gabe's parents went, but he didn't. And then another thing that's really weird is there were... There was, like, a pot of, like, artificial flowers or, like, some kind of wreath on Tina's grave, and it would keep disappearing. And no matter, like, how many times they put it back or, like, got a new one, it it would be gone. So Tommy asked police, like, hey, like, can you scope this out? So Mm. they set up a, a camera, and it was indeed Gabe that was, like, tearing up the, the flowers on Tina's grave. And he justifies this by saying Tina hated fake flowers. Okay. First of all, why do you keep going to the grave? Second of all, like... That's so bizarre. Yeah. So, yeah, he would, like, throw the flowers in the street and then drive away. So Australian police spent years investigating, and they originally thought this was an accident, but after all this reviewing and investigating they believe that Gabe did indeed murder Tina mm-hmm. 
Now, because it's years later, witnesses are scattered across the globe, and it was hard to interview them, um, especially because most of them are like tourists. But there was one doctor on the ship who was a witness, and he said he saw the exchange of two divers, and he explains the bear hug pretty vividly. He says he saw a smaller person in distress and then the larger diver return into the surface and he said like this was a red flag but he had to stay with his group so he couldn't like do anything about it this was vital evidence and now a theory developed so here's what they are trying to pinpoint now Mm -hmm. gabe what gabe's plan was to dive down then signal that his device wasn't working so they would be able to return to the surface when they came back to work on his diving computer. Most of the other divers would be on their way to the ship or they would be like out exploring so there wouldn't be that many people around. Gabe would then take Tina far away from like a visible range. Then he would grab her and turn off her air and waited for her to go unconscious. Mm-hmm. Then he would turn back on her valve so it wouldn't look like, oh my god, her valve was off. Mm -hmm. So he turned it back on and then he would wait for her to sink and then return to the surface. So they had tested this theory and they found that it could be done. Mm -hmm. So they go and try to find out more on Gabe. So the investigators go to um, America to like try to find out more. Mm -hmm. Where they interview people. I don't know if they went there. So wait, are detectives in the U.S. working on this as well as in Australia? I'll get to Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're good. But this is primarily Australia at this point because okay. it happened in Australia. You right. Know? The Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> Rise of lights. Okay. Uh, so it turns out that he was not the great husband that he was like portraying and they actually had a really troubled relationship. They had actually broken up for a period prior to their engagement. And during this break, Tina's friend set up Tina with a date. And apparently Gabe was like extremely livid about this. And like despite their fights, uh, one article said that like he threw, he ordered pizza. And when it arrived, he like threw it at her like he was... Just not a nice guy, but eventually they ended up getting back together. Mm. Police also thought that asking about the insurance policy was a motive. Now, to kind of like tie this all together, in May of 2009, Gabe was finally sent back to Australia to stand a trial. Wow, that's so long. I know. Like six years later. Yeah. More than that. I don't know. Wait, is it? I don't know. A very yeah, long time after. Six years, yeah. He agreed to go and only because he made a deal that they would drop the case from murder to manslaughter. Seriously? Yeah. Could they not voluntarily, like he had to go voluntarily or something? Like they couldn't force him? I don't know the details on that. Yeah. I guess it was just... Manslaughter. That's not manslaughter. It's not manslaughter. It's not manslaughter. Oh, my God. Okay. Sorry. Go on. No, this is why the case, like, it's stuck with me because yeah. it's so like, frustrating. So at his trial, he was con- 
convicted of manslaughter and he was given a sentence of four and a half years, but the judge ended up suspending it to 12 months. Why? I don't know. What? Oh my God. Four years in the first place is not he should get life in prison i guess that was like part of the agreement oh my god oh i'm so upset (laughs) i know so then alabama attorney general appealed the sentence because he thought it was way too lenient Mm -hmm. and the appeal was approved and it was extended for to 18 months so me. Alabama Attorney General brought the case back to the United States and they wanted to try it again in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So the Attorney General said there would be a, that there was additional evidence that hadn't been seen in the Australian court case. So Australia would not allow any evidence that was found in Australia to return to America without the promise that Alabama would not seek the death penalty. So Alabama was like, okay. (laughs) Good. All right. And Gabe returned to the U.S. And he was put into custody until it was time to be tried again. So they indicated two counts. One was capital murder and the other was kidnapping with... Oh, something I also want to know is... um, her life insurance, you know, he originally thought it was about 165000 but it turns out it was only like 33000 mm. because like she didn't increase it. So that is a little fun fact that anyway. Okay. They wanted to try Watson for capital murder and they... We're basing this on the theory that he was planning this ahead of time when he was in Alabama. Mm. So Watson's family questioned, you know, if he had any motive for the murder, noting that he, you know, loved Tina and he was genuine and, you know, there was no life insurance actually that, you know, named him as a beneficiary. So Mm -hmm. he, you know, he seemed you know pretty sad about it like even even with his weird christmas card stupid christmas card so essentially what happened is they made the agreement with australia that they could use the evidence found in australia as long as they don't seek the death penalty so alabama prosecutors charge watson with murder at the conclusion of his prison sentence in Australia mm-hmm. after finding what they claimed was evidence that he had plotted to kill his wife while he was in the U.S. still. Okay. So that is how everything kind of started. So gotcha. additional evidence that kind of leveraged this was dive experts were saying that, you know, he 100% could have saved Tina. Like, he could have brought her back. He was certified. Like, he... He was basically, like, completely negligent. It's not, like, manslaughter because it's not like he wasn't certified. Mm. Like, he was certified. Mm. He could have done this. So, 
his like defense tried to say like you know he could barely save himself he he let alone his wife like I don't think he intended to kill her and basically it was like this was extremely dangerous and amateur and you know it showed the lack of courage that anyone would like abandon their wife Mm -hmm. so the company that ran the dive excursion they were fined $6,500 for for also being like Mm -hmm. not as diligent on certification I'm sorry I'm going all over the place that's okay so Alabama judge uh, ruled that Watson's behavior in Tina's death was inadmissible so what what's really awful about this is they prevented Tina's father from giving evidence regarding uh, Watson's attempts to increase Tina's life insurance so that was not able to be used in court and then on February 23rd 2012 they acquitted Gabe for lack of evidence without the, the the defense needing to present its case. Oh my god. So I the state, you know, said that the evidence was sorely lacking and that it cannot be proven that Watson had any financial motive to do this. So it's extremely frustrating. It should have gone to, you know, the jury to decide, but the judge Mm. made the call here. And apparently it was the first time prosecutor Don Valenska said that it was the first time that he ever had a a trial end in a judge just deciding in like the 41 years that he had been, you know, serving in court. So... Unfortunately, like, I think, obviously, it's a lot more malicious than Gabe was saying it was. Mm -hmm. There was a 90-minute Dateline episode of this. They made it into a Lifetime movie called Fatal Honeymoon. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) There was also a episode on Australian 60 Minutes about it, and... I got the inspiration from, and that's why we drink for this episode. There's also a really long case file true crime podcast on this. And, you know, it's it's really unfortunate. Her father tried really hard to, you know, bring justice to the table. And afterwards, a couple years later, he did end up passing of cancer. Mm. So his mom, or Tina's mom, said that she was okay with it because now he's with his daughter. Oh, my God. So it it's an extremely frustrating case. It's a it's just one that really sat with me. So I hope I did it justice. I Yeah, that's like that man literally got away with murder. Yeah. Like 100%. And I, I'm I'm wondering, like, yeah, I'm curious as to why. Because it seemed like he thought the life insurance could be a reason. But then, like, if that's the case, was it a long con from the beginning? Like, when he asked her out, was he like, I'm going to, like, 
get this girl's life insurance or yeah, was it like know. a gradual sort of like I'm an awful person and I see now that I can profit from this from killing this my wife I, I, mean, I don't know there's like a lot you could dive into it like in one of the articles I was reading it was like click this link to read more about like Gabe's former girlfriends I'm like I'm not going down this rabbit mm. hole I'm like why is yeah. this even a thing so I don't know like maybe he yeah. he ended up like remarrying someone seriously I know someone married him after all of this I know I don't know like what his <laughs> that's the bi- that's the biggest red flag I've ever heard of in my life oh should I go on a date with this guy he was in Australian prison for a year for murdering his first wife manslaughter oh my oh, well, god it was manslaughter and apparently she looks just like tina oh my god that makes it so much worse <laughs> what i know it's horrible oh I've... my god okay first of all what kind of friend would let you do that <laughs> second of all they got married like while i think his court case was pen- i mean not i'm not 100 percent sure on that but i know it was something like the press did not like that. Oh, They're like, what? So it's also, yeah. He's, he, bubble wrap man. I don't know. Like, he definitely sounds like a psychopath. Yeah. From what you said. He has bubble wrap brain. Oh my God. <laughs> I know that, I know it's so frustrating. Yeah. This it's whole seriously thing is so, like, from the beginning, it's just, yeah. Oh my god! Thanks, Alabama justice system and Australia justice system. Crikey! And by thanks, I mean no thanks. You're awful. <laughs> Crikey! You know what I was randomly thinking about when you were talking about um, Tina's heart condition and how they didn't want her to go to Australia. No. Do you remember when we took an Australian to Six Flags <laughs> <laughs> with yeah. a heart condition? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! And I was sitting next to him, and I was like. <laughs> If we die, I'm glad I knew you. And he's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> after every ride, I would look back and be like, is he okay? And then we got McDonald's afterwards. And I'm like, your poor heart. Oh, my God. He was like, yeah, I bet my doctor in Australia right now is freaking out. It was his choice, to be to be very clear. Yeah. We did not force him to go to Six Flags. No, he was just there. He and was he's like, like oh. by the way, I have a heart condition. <laughs> like, haha, you're funny. He's like, no, seriously, I shouldn't go on this ride. I'm like, what the heck? And he was taking pictures next to the signs by the rides that said, don't ride if you have a heart condition. He would, like, point at it and smile and take a picture and then go on the ride. What a daredevil. Um, I hope he's doing well. Me too. Hmm. hmm. Anyway, that's totally unrelated, but... No, I, I mean, heart, Australia, it's all connected. Yeah. I don't know. Jeez. This was uh, a doozy. Well, thank you for that story. I'm going to be thinking about that. It's going to keep me up. I know. Night. Maybe we should watch the Dateline or the Lifetime movie. At a Leave it to Lifetime to, <laughs> to make Hold on, a very wait. dramatic rendition of that. Seriously, though, I have like 15 tabs open <laughs> i was just like going at it yeah um, i believe it that was really well researched I'm, I'm sorry i didn't do more on like the actual court case obviously no it's but okay. let's see honeymoon what was it called fatal honeymoon okay mm. um it has a five out of ten on imdb that's not that bad um 82% of people like this movie, according to Google. 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
I wonder how her family feels about that movie. Probably not great. I mean, right. I don't know. They probably portrayed... I, I doubt they took Gabe's side on it. So. Yeah, that's true. But I'm still... I don't know. Um, <sighs> God. At least maybe he got like a trial by press. I hope everyone who meets him learns who he is and hates him. Yeah. Except for his wife for some goddamn reason. Oh, God. His Her, her name is Kim? I hope she's okay. <laughs> this, um... This tabloid, or not tabloid, it says, Gabe Watson says new wife Kim is not a Tina Watson lookalike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, guys, no, it's different. Yeah, you, I hope she's okay. I hope. Do you want to see the photo they found? What photo? The photo of, like, No, the, I don't. Okay. Not right now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. It's Okay. I always have, like, photos and videos. I'm like, do you want to? And you're like, like, no, 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 I don't. So, geez. This is another reason why I won't go to the ocean. Yeah. So, if if my future hubby says we're going scuba diving, Mm. that's not, that's a red flag. I'm blinking twice for help. Okay. Noted. So, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> tune in next week for a wild card who knows what it'll be wow we're already at the wild card i know <laughs> this well i mean february is a short month it is Whew. what a day what a year what a life what is life okay maybe next time <laughs> so we would like to give credit to the artists that have helped us our music is composed by colin whitlish and music production is by justin tomb cover art is by erica chase would you like to tell them how to find us? Follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can send a listener report or suggest topics to us at theinsomniareport at gmail.com. Or you can message us on any of our social media accounts. Say hi. We love hearing from you. Yes, please do. It truly makes our day. You have no idea. It's the little things. Yeah. Happy dance. So, thank you again and we um geez like this one was heavy i mean they always are but anyway stay sleepy stay spooky i'm margo and i'm elizabeth see you soon good night good night